Hello and welcome back to the Throwing Strikes podcast. I'm Steven Risotto. This is episode number six. Six episodes so far and we are here joined now by Coach Matt Lyle. He is uh, the assistant softball coach at Fresno State University. And uh, you guys might know him by his social media feeds. He is the internet's most followed baseball and softball coach. Virtually, he's coached at every level. Uh, so, Matt, I'm excited to have you here. How are you doing? Hey, Steven. Thanks for having me on, bud. Good. So, right now, there's no baseball or, I guess, softball happening right now. No sports happening. So, the best thing we got is Tom Brady and Peyton Manning golfing with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods. Uh, so, what have you been doing um, during this time? I know you have kids, probably yeah. spending a lot of time with them. So, um, what have you been doing during this quarantine period? Yeah, I've been really pressing into family time as a coach and doing it full time for like 19 years. You know, we don't get to spend a lot of time with our family. So I'm doing a lot of that. Uh, still connecting with our team a lot, a lot of Zoom calls, obviously. And, um, and so that's kind of the, the, the thing I'm doing the most. Like I said, kind of those two things, a lot of family time, a lot of Zoom calls with team and planning for the summer and fall. So you're the current assistant softball coach at Fresno State University. So what was the situation you guys were in before COVID-19? Did you guys get to play any games? Uh, describe, and describe kind of the role that you have there. Yeah, so um, we were actually 21 and four. <clears throat> Excuse me, we were uh, in the top 20 in the country. We were number 12 in the first RPI ranking of the year. And um, we were having an incredible year, one of the best in, in probably about 20 years. So um, that was kind of tough. I, I was the hitting coach, and uh, we were actually in the Seattle airport when NCAA canceled the season, uh, getting ready to go start conference play against Boise State. So yeah, it was just a crazy whirlwind uh, week of everything going down. And, and like I said, we got about halfway through our season. We were 21-4. and four. So you're actually a product of Walnut Creek East, in the East Bay. And I know a lot of people that um, listen to this are from the Bay Area. Um, but yeah, Walnut Creek to be exact. So what was that like for you growing up there, um, playing baseball, playing sports? How was that area? How did that area treat you? Oh, I love the Bay Area. I love the East Bay. So that, you know, I've coached uh, in, at, in Oregon. I've coached in Missouri, South Carolina, Maryland. I mean, I've, I've been everywhere in the country and I always come back here to the Bay Area. So uh, for me, I love growing up in the Bay Area, the weather, people, everything. And so, um, you know, it's been, I spent majority of my life there and, and I always come back. And so it's definitely, um, you know, home for me. And, and I think, you know, I think the Bay Area has some of the best youth and, and sports in the country too uh, with SoCal and Texas and Florida and a few others but uh, it's got it's just got it's, it's been a it's, it's a great place. So in terms of your personal playing career uh, we know you more as a coach um, than anything so what was your career like on a baseball field? Um, you know I grew up um, I played my first you know t-ball in little league uh, game was five six years old and I played my dad coached me all the way till I got to high school I played high school baseball, and, and uh, I, was a, I, I was an above-average high school baseball player. My dreams were playing in the pros, um, but I, I was more – my skill set was more probably a low D1, D2 kid. I ended up being a better football player in high school, and uh, I, I committed to Fresno State to play football uh, out of high school and didn't have any real baseball offers, just kind of a lot of this and that. I had two football offers, uh, Navy and Fresno State. <clears throat> And so I decided to go into, I was going to play football 
And then college came, uh, my college, first week of college, I had a kid, <clears throat> my now 23-year-old daughter, and my football career ended, and I tried to play baseball a little bit. I played at Cal State East Bay, which was called Cal State Hayward back then, and um, played a little bit, had some shoulder injuries, and I got into coaching at my old high school, uh, my junior year of college, and literally have been coaching for 20 years since then. So, um, you know, my, my playing career was short kind of not spectacular. I tried to play some independent ball for a little bit. Uh, I did some of that in the summers and, and, uh, but I just, coaching was my uh, gift, uh, not playing. So you went on the coach, you mentioned, uh, at a million different locations at pretty much every level along the way. Um, but like recently you primarily spend your days at the college level. Um, so what would you say is the level you like coaching most? Is it college? Is it high school, maybe the younger leagues. So what's, what's kind of your favorite there? Uh, I think for me, my wheelhouse is college athletics. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, the only issue that I have with the younger levels, like uh, high school and, and younger is just the amount of uh, time and effort that goes into those levels in, in the sense that, and like, you know, high school coaches, <clears throat> youth coaches work a ton, but when it comes to the kids, I mean, what I love about college is, you know, it's basically year round. It's the whole school year. We get to work the whole fall. When you're coaching high school baseball, which I did for several, several years, you know, summer and fall can be, they play on the travel ball teams or fall, you know, kids are playing football and basketball, rightfully so. So you don't really get to have that. Whereas in college, you get your team all together. Um, I love the pro level coaching at the major league level and spring training is awesome. And the pro level is really awesome. Don't get me wrong, but uh, the day to day, coaching student athletes one-on-one -on -one at the college level to me it's just the light, most life-giving to me and so I, I just I really enjoy the college level myself yeah I I've I've had experience coaching um younger kids like six seven eight nine year olds and it's like you want to teach them that like a balk move but then you don't like you know yeah. so it's, yeah the younger levels are really hard I said I have five kids and I've tried to coach it I've helped at those levels and it takes it takes a lot of patience it takes a lot of uh love at those levels and it's definitely more difficult for me uh as someone who's more of a technical teacher uh so you know it, it's those younger levels are tough yeah <laughs> so um i read on your your website that you actually found yourself homeless in 2010 so what prompted that um time in your life and how did you bounce back well, during that time in my life, I was coaching high school baseball. I was trying to do lessons and camps and, and travel ball teams and trying to make money that way. And, and I, it's pretty common now. I, I think there's probably, you know, thousands of guys that make a living that way. But back in 2010, it was a little more difficult. Uh, people didn't, didn't want to pay a lot for travel ball and the camps and lessons. So it was, it was a little bit different 10 years ago. And it was something that I was really trying to do. And I was having some success with it. But like I said, as a father – uh, having lots of kids, living in the Bay Area, as you know, is really expensive. You know, I just couldn't keep up with uh, the business of uh, baseball. And I was working seven days a week trying to do lessons and all this stuff. And uh, and so I just kept trying to get, you know, trying to get the ball rolling on that. And it was having a hard time. And so in that summer of 2010, just kind of kind of caught up to me. I couldn't, like, my bills were piling up. I couldn't catch up. And so I just remember I, I, ma I made a deal with my landlord. Hey, I, you know, take my deposit, give me more, one more month of rent. And I'll try to, I'll try to figure out, you know, I got 30 days to figure it out. 
and I just couldn't, and I couldn't, my rent was back then was like $2,000 a month at this little place. And now it's probably double that at that place. But, uh, it was a lot of money back then, especially for me at that time. And so next thing you know, I, you know, you, you never plan on it. You don't expect it. But next thing you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I was on friends couches, my car, uh, I slept in my, one of my friend's kitchens. He made a little bedroom in his kitchen for me with a bed sheet and an air mattress. And so th there was a little time that I had to kind of sit down and try to refigure out, you know, I knew that uh, I wanted to coach for, for a living. I knew that was my, that's what God was calling me to do. I think that was, and so I just kind of, I had to refigure out what that looked like and uh, start kind of trying to rebuild it again. Yeah, that's the Bay Area for you. Super expensive. Uh, so fast forward and you see yourself um, a little later now as, as a White Sox hitting strategist. You did that for a year. So what was your role there and how did you like that? Uh, working the White Sox was great. I, they brought me in to basically assess and evaluate every hitter at every level. You know, uh, we, we use this thing called a K-Vest uh, with hit tracks and with uh, a bat sensor. And so my job was to assess every hitter and then try to help develop hitting plans for every, all the hitters. So my, that was my plan. Like, Hey, you know, I would say Steven Rosoto, this is his evaluation. This is what he needs to work on. Here's some plans with some drills and, and trying to help the hitting coaches and the front office with that. And, you know, helping with, uh, the draft, you know, we had, a, we had the second or third pick in the draft that year. And so trying to help evaluate, uh, draft hitters. Uh, and so anything, anything they needed in the sense of hitting, uh, and trying to dig through the data to help with patterns and things like that and saying, Hey, you know, this guy's swing rate on these pitches, we should work on this. And, and so I spent the year doing that and it was a great job. I loved it. I just, for me personally, uh, not coaching players every day. Uh, that was hard for me. And I really, really love working with hitters and working with players and the relationship part of it. And my role with them was, it just wasn't that. And so um, I went back to coaching college. I just thought it was a, a better fit for me. So I mentioned that your social media presence is uh, gigantic and I see your tweets all the time. I follow you on Instagram uh, and your posts are so relatable. So I think one of them the other day said, um, and somebody tweeted, give me a horror story with five words or less. And then you replied and said something like the season has been canceled. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so relatable. Um, so explain how you use social media as a tool to, you know, kind of get your points across. So uh, I started out on social media like 2013. I thought, and I, and I just, I decided that my strategy was going to be just to share things that I think were going to help people uh, help and help people with the demographics that, that I am. So like, you know, players, coaches, parents, uh, dads. And I thought, Hey, if I can share information along my journey and my experience of those areas and try to help people, uh, that's what I'm going to try to do and just be consistent with it. And so that's kind of was my only strategy. Like, Hey, you know, try to be, try to, like you said, try to share things that are relatable to people like you and I, people who love the game, love, um, and stuff like that. And so for me, that's, that was my strategy uh, all along and still is that if I think, if I find a video or a, or a quote or something that I think is really relatable to me, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think that people share things on social media to like t talk about other people. 90% of the stuff that I share is for me, you know, it's just like, you know, it's for me, it's stuff that I relate to. And, and I know that a lot of other people relate to as well. So, uh, you know, social media, I got really lucky that, it just blew up and, and that way that has come, but 
for me, I was just really consistently trying to share things that would help coaches and parents and players. So a lot of your tweets have to do with attitude and how much that matters on a baseball field or a softball field. How much of your teachings um, at some of maybe the younger levels, the college levels, is based on attitude? I mean, all of it, really. I think that what I've learned in my 20 years of coaching is that you know, skill set is really important. Like, you've got to be a good player. You can't have the bad news bears out there and, and win. <clears throat> um, so you got to have some skill set, and that's really important. But to me, the separator between great teams and, and good teams are really this attitude and effort and their and how you approach the game, how you approach life. And, you know, sports is, sports is just a, a vehicle for teaching life lessons. And so, you know, all of us who get done with our playing days, some of us at 12 years old, some at 22, and some get to play till they're 40, you know, all the things that we learn in team sports and, and the things that we learn playing the game, they teach us about life. And so all the things that I've learned as a player, uh, you know, I've used them as a coach, as a parent. And so, um, I think the attitude and understanding the, all those, that aspect of the games is just really important. Or if you're Julio Franco, you're in your 60s and you're still trying to play. So <laughs> to piggyback so. Uh, off attitude for a second, players are always curious. I hear this all the time uh, with my personal teammates about what coaches exactly look for. And for me personally, uh, the best piece of advice I think I've ever gotten was – you know, anyone could be watching you at any time. Like I always thought the the absolute gamers that I've played with or played against were the guys that, you know, would strike out to end the inning and then be the first ones out at their position. Um, so what's your philosophy on maybe what coaches look for in terms of work ethic, et cetera? Yeah. So, you know, I'll tell you a story. When I, I played college summer ball for a couple of years and we had a ton of guys drafted up off of um, our summer ball teams. And I remember talking to a scout that back then, that was you know, almost 20, 20 something years ago, uh, that told me that, you know, there were times that he got out of his car, saw a guy that have, you know, having just a terrible approach to his warm up and attitude and all stuff. And before he even saw him pitch, left and the guy is a guy who's going to get drafted and so for me you know I just think I think at this stage in 2020 that the game the way the game is I just think that attitude effort those are the kind of the, the bare minimum I, I think they're really important I think they uh but if you don't have those things I think I think it's it's really hard to even pay attention to that person um or to scratch them off the list and so for me you know, honestly, especially at the higher levels, like coaching Division One, at, at I've coached Division One baseball, Division One softball, both in the SEC, Pac-12, is skill set trumps everything. You know, if, if you if you're hitting if you're hitting home runs or you're a pitcher that throws 95, you're standing out. So, honestly, I I, I, I like I said, I think players 100% need to spend a lot of time having good attitude, good effort. But if you're going to showcases and you're and you're trying to get noticed just by attitude and effort. Uh, there's always a place for you as long as you're okay with playing at a lower level or division two or uh, uh, NAIA and which is totally fine. There's a place for everybody. That's fine. But if you have the expectation, like, Hey, I want to, I want to play at the high level and, and all these things. And I'm, gonna I'm just going to do that with uh, hustle. And uh, there's this, it's just a very small percentage of people that have the ability to do that. And so you have to work on your skill set. You got to get better. You got to get stronger. Uh, and so, uh, those are the things that honestly just really stand out. If you power arms and power bats are going to stand out. And if you, ha if you can have a good attitude and effort with that, you can really stand out. 
So a lot of the fun aspect in baseball that I've noticed kind of disappears um, as you get older. And I've seen, I've seen it. I'm sure you have too, in some cases. So how do you remind the kids and keep them motivated to have fun while competing at the same time? Um, you know, I think it's, it's just a matter of, of having fun in the process of it. I mean, if you have fun practices and coaches that are really positive uh, and have a lot of energy, I, I think it's really easy. I, and I think that, you know, at, at Fres- if you ever watch me coach at any level, at Fresno State, if you ever watch a game, you know, we're really loose. We joke around a lot. We have a lot of fun because at the end of the day, it is just a game. And so, and, uh, uh, you know, if you take it too seriously, too competitive, and it's all about winning, just, it just does, you don't enjoy the process as much. And, you know, you might win a few more championships because uh, of, of this weird style, but, you know, I want to enjoy it as well. And, and so for me, you know, I think that coaches uh, can, they can find the happy balance of demanding and wanting to win and at the same time be really fun. You don't have to be one or the other. You don't have to be um, – you know, a jerk to win or to be serious or vice versa. I think a lot of that has to do with parents too. I mean, one of the messages that, you know, you mentioned that a lot of your social media um, posts have to do with parents and uh, how much of an impact uh, have you seen from parents in terms of putting pressures on their kid, putting pressure on their, their kids. And cause it's, it gets a little ridiculous sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of it. I would say that it's the number one reason why kids don't play high school sports or that they fizzle out their freshman, sophomore years of high school is that parents are crazy. And so, you know, I think that, you know, I think there are great, I think there are a lot of great parents out there that do a really good job of supporting their kids and making the experience really good. And I think you just have a lot of parents that, again, they want what's best for their kid, but they, they, they don't know how to do it the right way. They push them too hard instead of finding ways to, to uh, support them. And so, um, it, it's difficult time right now in, in youth sports in the sense of parents and, and what they are doing and living through their kids and, and a lot of other things. And so, but the parents who are doing a really good job of, you know, teaching the life lessons with it and supporting them and finding ways to, to spark the you know love of the game without, you know, forcing it down their throats. Uh, I think there's a lot of them that are doing really well with that. So these past, 20 some odd years we've seen the evolution of organizations such as perfect game promoting showcases uh, around the country it's been effective um so what is your stance if you know say one of your players wants to attend one of those showcases what would you say i would say the showcases are great for getting noticed especially if you have a really high tool set but showcases are a terrible idea if you're in the middle of the pack of a of a showcase unless there are lower level coaches there for sure. But if, you know, if let's say there's 200 kids at a showcase and if you were to rank all their skills, you're in the middle of the pack and there's only division one coaches, there are a handful of coaches. You just lit money on fire. Like it's, I mean, and unless you were there for the experience and you wanted to see what it's like, but if you were trying to get noticed there and then you're in the middle of the pack or the bottom of that pack, there's no way unless again, like I said, there's a lot of coaches at different levels there. But um, it, it's definitely not the best use of your tool set it, unless you're at the top. Like I said, if you're in the top 10% there and you're looking to get noticed and move up and, there's, and you can stand out at that showcase, like I said, power bat, power arm, with speed, it's something that really stands out, then those showcases and those things are great for you. Uh, I would say that it would really depends on the parents' resources. If, if you have unlimited resources and all the money, 
do it all, do all the showcases. But if you're really limited in your, in your, in what you have from a financial standpoint, resource standpoint, and you know, your skill level is like, Hey, you know what? I'm not the, you know, one of the best players here. I need to figure a different route for me. Uh, maybe it's a, maybe it's a showcase for people with higher GPAs, or maybe it's a showcase, you know, you know, something, something else, find the showcase and the group that matches you. So I, I, a lot of them, cause I know a lot of people on my team and I got one too. I got like one of those default letters from Florida state. And I was like, wait, Florida state, what? So, um, what was I going to say? Yeah. Florida state. So a lot of those are basically, uh, basically, um, scholarship or not scholarship uh ways to uh, make money for the pro baseball program as opposed to actually getting a good look at the player so that's kind of what i've learned based on that uh so moving on so some you started something called the hitting vault uh can you describe what that is and and how you got to start that yeah so the hitting vault is a this complete resource for hitting for all levels like we've got major league players that are members of the vault we've got six-year-olds that are that are members of the vault and the parents and coaches. And so it's a library of hitting drills. It's practice plans. Um, it's just a huge library of hitting in general. Like how to teach hitting, uh, you know, philosophy on hitting, how to develop hitting plans. Uh, and so everything you want to know about hitting, if you're a coach or a parent, how to help your kids, uh, that's what the vault is. And we're just continually building, you know, more drills and more resources in that. So, you know, for it's, it's a great tool for a, a travel ball coach, high school coach, or a parent who's like, hey, man, I want to help my kids get a lot better at hitting. You know, here it is. And I, and I think there's just so much out there. There's so many resources, or out, resources and different hitting gurus out there. I think people just get confused and they go to YouTube and Twitter and they try to find all these drills to try to help them, uh, you know. And so the hitting vault is a way to kind of say, hey, this is all great information all in the same place. Uh, and so that, that was the point of it is to help parents and coaches to, to get better at, at teaching hitting and, and becoming a better hitter. So I was watching one of your videos uh, while researching you and I mentioned, uh, and you mentioned something that kind of stuck with me and it, it was, you can never master hitting. So can you expand more kind of on that message? Yeah. I just think, you know, regardless of who it is, Mike Trout, uh, Barry Bonds, I think that, that you know, hitting, you, you can never be perfect. You, you know, you're never going to be perfect every time. And it's the same thing in life. I mean, it, it's the same thing. Like we're not going to ever be, you know, I'm maxed out on my, on my IQ or, uh, you know, my knowledge. I'm just going to stop, stop learning, you know, for me, uh, and for hitters, you know, the game itself, that's part of the fun of uh, the game of baseball and softball is like, we're constantly learning, constantly trying to, find ways to get better how to beat our uh, opponents. And so uh, hitting, you can never master hitting to a tee and have the perfect swing. That's going to, you know, match every pitcher. And, and at the same time, you know, pitchers are trying to get better and we're always having to make changes. And so it's an, just, it's, a, it's an evolving game and that's part of the frustration and, and a lot of part of the fun. So you look around baseball today and you see three things happening at the plate, walks, strikeouts, and home runs. Uh, launch angle has become an obsession with a lot of these baseball players today. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with approach. I know me personally, a lot of, um, I see a lot of three, one, uh, and two, one fastball swings. They're being used pretty much all the time. Now there's uh, a lack of kind of two strike approach now that maybe we would have seen 20 years ago. Um, 
so give me your thoughts on that. And, and if, cause I know a lot of that is, is mental and, you know, on a three, two pitch trying to hit the home run. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I just really think, I really think it depends on your level. I mean, I, I you know, in the high school level, uh, baseball, for example, it depends, you know, if you've got fields that are three, three twenty down the line and three fifty to 400 in center field, like that's just, that that's not going to play very often that type of, unless you are an athlete that can do that. And so, you know, what I tell even our college players is this, you know, if your left field fence is 320 and you can routine, routinely hit the ball in the air 330 to 340, um, let's, like, let's do that. But if you routinely hit the ball 315, you just led the, you just led the country in flyouts. And so you've got to really know your swing. You've got to know your tools. If you're a five, 740 pound second baseman, like trying to live the launch angle life and get the ball in the air, uh, probably isn't great, but at the same time, like the launch angle of a line drive through the hole, you know, over shortstop's head is like 10 degrees. So we can still train at the 10 degree launch angle. And we can talk about that. If that's something that the hitter wants to talk about, I have no problem uh, with that. I love, I, I like the term launch angle. I like data. And I think you can use it to teach. I just think that every player is different in the sense of uh, what their tools are on the major league level. Every single one of those guys can hit a home run. I, so I've worked with Daniel Descalso uh, for a few years. He's like five nine, one seventy five, and can hit home runs, no problem. And there's guys that so everybody at that level. Same thing with college softball. At college softball, the fences are two hundred feet, two twenty in center field, and every one of the players on our team can hit a home run every single day, all day long. Uh, and and so for us, we can train much differently than a high school. If I'm a high school baseball coach. Um, you know, we can use launch angle as a, as a tool. We can talk about it. We can measure it and we can, we can talk about launch angle, but I'll tell you that launch angle training that we talk about at the high school level uh, with, with high school team is so much different than a college softball team or a major league baseball team. So I just think it's relative to the individual and the team. And you just gotta be really smart when doing that. It's not a one size fits all uh, term. Mm -hmm. And especially when you get to the higher levels, you see more uh, pitchers that have better control Yep. And they're they're they have a better knowledge of the strike zone. They're breaking stuffs better. Yep. And I so, think you know every coach has to find what's you know for us. My hitting philosophy is do damage, and my hitting philosophy is OPS on base percentage, plugging percentage. So for us, like we're trying to get more walks, we're trying to hit more home runs, and so you know for for our team, and it's every, everybody at every level is different. At our team, you know, we were in top five in the country in walks this year. And we, we led the country in triples uh, by a long shot. And uh, we, we had, and so for us, that's, and doing damage, walks and home runs and triples, extra base hits, they do produce, produce the most runs. So I'm okay with that. I think the game of baseball, I know it's probably boring for a lot of people, walks, strikeouts and home runs, but there is some give and take. Hey, I'm willing to give up a little bit of strikeouts for a little bit more power. You just can't give up a lot. And I think, if, you want, if you're a baseball follower, if you follow Joey Gallo at all, you've seen the progression of him as a hitter. He was an all-or-nothing guy that tons of strikeouts and home runs, and now he's found a way to kind of lower his attack angle. He's not, he's not swinging up as much, and so he's, he's in that good sweet spot of like, hey, not striking out as much uh, and getting some rewards from that. So I think, again, everybody's kind of different in, in that sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I got one more thing for you before we go. Uh, so – uh, do you teach guess hitting? Because I know I knew. Um, are your players taught, or right, let me rephrase that question: Do you teach guess hitting, or are your guys, your players taught to sit on maybe one particular pitch and one particular count, 
or does it kind of vary by individual? What do they like to do? Um, it varies by individuals. We don't, we don't really allow any guessing. So it's like, uh, you know, what are the pitchers best two pitches, best three pitches, if that, and, uh, we sit on, we sit more on location and speed. And so we, all of our hitters at our level, like they know their hot zones and cold zones. So we can talk about that all day long. So if your cold zone is low and outside, uh, Oh, Oh, we're not swinging at that pitch. I mean, uh, that, that, and so we're looking for red zone early and we'll expand that red zone um, later in the count with two strikes. Um, but we're always sitting fast, adjusting slow. And, um, you know, from a guessing standpoint, uh, we, there's not a lot of guessing. It's like, Hey, here's what we're, here's the two pitches we're sitting on. And depending on the pitcher, you know, at the college softball level and some other levels, you may have a pitcher who has throws a lot of changeups. You know, we've paced Michigan through 47% changeups. Wow. So, we have we'll have hitters that sit on changeup or sit on you know sit on certain pitches if the percentages are high. But you know in baseball, so if the, if the pitcher throws eighty percent fastballs, we're going to sit eighty percent fastballs and and adjust to off speed. And uh, but we, I have hitters that say, hey, you know, I want to sit on this pitch and, and this count. And we kind of talk about it and we say, okay, you're gonna, that's fine. Sit on that pitch and we'll take it without uh, in certain counts for sure. But we always have a plan on that. Real quick before we go, um, do you guys get a, a full report on on some of the the college softball arms that you face? What, uh, kind, we of, create, what kind of we, knowledge do you have on them before? So coming? Yeah, we have some, we have a lot of charts. There's a lot of chart data. Uh, we know uh, we know not what pitches they throw, but we know um, their strike percentages and wh- wh- you know uh, where they're hit, you know, what fields. And then I spend you know. 10 to 20 hours a week watching videos of those pitchers and, and creating my own reports off, the, off of that percentage of pitches they throw and, and tracking and charting it. So uh, we spend a good portion of once the season starts, we spend probably half of our week scouting opponents that way. All right, Matt, uh, coach Lyle, it was really fun getting the chance to pick your brain. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. So, uh, where could where could our viewers and listeners follow you at? So uh, yeah, my username on everything from YouTube to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is all at Coach Lyle. Uh, and if you Google Coach Lyle, uh, you'll find me too. TheHittingVault.com and CoachLyle.com uh, are the places you can find me. And starting on Monday, June first at 7 a.m. Pacific time, I'm going to host a daily uh, YouTube show live. Uh, 7 a.m. starting on Monday, so you can find me there, and, and we'll talk about uh, sports and coaching and parenting, a lot of stuff we talked about today, uh, starting every day on Monday, June 1st. Awesome. We'll be sure we'll be sure to check in, and you could everybody here, you could uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at Strikes Podcast and on Instagram at Throwing Strikes Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching, and everybody have a great day. Thanks, David.